Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. I don't know too many people that are waiters turned entrepreneurs. And I certainly don't know too many people like this guy that has a hashtag that resonates with me about connection and encouragement. But he connect, he, he has a, a Corey Connects. And so we're connecting today here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. He's a tech founder, advisor, targeted viral growth coach, investment strategist, probably a sports fan. I mean, you know, it's not on his bio, but it probably could be there somewhere. Corey Warfield joins me today on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Corey, how are you doing today, man? Ryan, I'm amazing. And thank you for having me. And thanks to everyone for tuning in today as well. Yeah, I mean, it, this is going to be great conversation. Corey, let's start here. Everybody has taken the pandemic in different ways. And I always like to start here around what it's been like for you, because I know here in West Virginia, kind of the struggles and the things that we faced and how we've gone through it. And of course, we're a state of 1.8 million people. And you live in the in the Chicago area where one suburb can have that many people in it or more. How's the pandemic been for you? And what's been the greatest aha moment of the last year with you and your family or business or personal Take me what through the take me what the last year has been like for you. Yeah, well, so the, the first thing I'll say, and I, I talk about this often in my household and my my close inner circle, is everything that happens to us is answered prayer, especially for those that stay in prayer, right? We pray the Lord's Prayer, we ask for God's will be done. So I look at everything through the lens of it is God's will, it is a blessing. So I know it's cavalier. I've had some some family members, some close to me, some people that uh, that meant a lot in my communities that have died because of this pandemic. And that, you know, it's truly tragic and, you know, hard stop. But with that said, I think I've seen so much good come out of this. I've seen people upskill and change careers. I've seen people refocus time on their family. I've seen people start their own companies, start companies within the companies that they work for. And I see innovation um, accelerating like I've never seen before. So, you know, I touch a lot of worlds. I help people raise a lot of money. I help people launch and then scale up companies, specifically in the technology realm. And the technology that I've seen come out of this pandemic, whether it's the no-code, low-code, where people can build apps in, in 10% of the time, 10% of the budget than they used to, or apps that are truly trying to connect people in ways that can make this whole, we need everything brought to our front doorstep, more efficient, safer, a little bit less painful. Um, seeing people have to, in real time, adapt their routines uh, implement different technologies and things upon their life that they never seen happen before has been hugely positive and profound for me. So, you know, I, I try to wear masks anywhere where other people are wearing masks. I encourage everyone to get the vaccines with whom that resonates. And, you know, again, I, I don't want to turn a blind ear or eye or heart to the fact that a lot of life has been lost. But I'd say from where I'm sitting, from an advisor, from a growth hacker perspective, I've seen a lot of innovation come out of this that I think will help usher in a, you know, kind of a, a next new way for humanity. So it, to me, it's been that positive with a, with an understanding that it's been really rough on a lot of folks. You know, I love what you said there. And I wrote that down, accelerated innovation. And, and here's where I want to unpack a little more conversation out of that, Corey, is the pandemic shut things down. The pandemic brought a lot of things to a screeching halt. But what you said there was innovation continued to move forward. How do you, that, that's almost kind of a mind-blowing concept where everything shuts down, but technology and innovation accelerates. How does that happen in, in, the, in that, that, that construct? I'm trying to really extrapolate a little more out of that. How does that happen, Corey? 
Well, I think necessity is the mother of invention, right? And I think a lot of people had ideas that they wanted to do something about, but all of a sudden when everyone was sharing a, you know, a dining room as a living uh, quarters and an office and a entertainment center, all of these things that were happening simultaneously, we had to figure out better ways, right? All of a sudden we had to do in-person meetings virtually on Zoom. And then we had to find out ways to make it look like we didn't have you know, three kids uh, completely wrecking our lives in the background. And right. So there were a lot of things that just had to happen. I think people took a week or two to kind of be shell shocked to go, wait a minute, where's the toilet paper? Why can't I leave my house? Am I ever going to eat out again? And then I think people really kind of doubled down on how do we make the most out of this? And so I really think it was circumstantial. And, and I do think that's one of the things that, that I consider to be a positive that's come out of this is we were forced to figure this out in real time. No, I love that. And I'm jotting that down, forced to figure things out in real time because, you know, you, you've been, you've been in the, the restaurant industry a long time as I was in the restaurant industry a long time. And, and if anything forces you, the restaurant business is such a great place to apply what you just said. You're forced to figure it out in real time. Because when you open the doors on a Monday or a Tuesday or whatever day during the week, you really don't have any idea in a lot of cases what that day is going to look like from a traffic standpoint, from an equipment standpoint, from a manpower standpoint, from an inventory standpoint. And so, man, you really... I love what you said there about being forced to figure it out in real time. People that you have worked with and people that you were, you, you, you know, you did some work with as well too. What was the major pain point that people were sharing with you? Like Corey, I've got to figure out X because X is what's keeping me up at night. Well, when I, when I was in restaurants, it was the changing schedules, right? So Anyone with kids, childcare typically stops at five or six. How do you keep your childcare going, especially if you don't know if you'll be there until 8 p.m. or 10 p.m. or if you're even going to be needed? How do you know how much money you're going to make to budget for your for your rent or your mortgage and your groceries and things if you might work two days next week or you might work six, right? How many holidays for 20 years in the industry did I not know if I was going to be able to spend it with my friends or with my family or if I was going to have to go you know, be a servant for eight hours or 12 hours. And so that instability was, was such that it, it affected everyone, whether I was a manager, a, a consultant, a bartender, waiter, um, it, it affected all of us every single day and in, inherently in, it impacted the customers and, and their experiences, guests as well. And so just that variance is, is what really made it a challenging industry and why so many people turn to um, right, a, a number of different coping mechanisms and fall into this industry forever. It's very difficult to, to see a career waiter, a career bartender go into another career. And I think I was just dumb and lucky enough that, you know, I was, I was used to working a hundred hours a week because to pay for my, my destination wedding in Mexico, I'd worked two full-time jobs in restaurants for about a year to pay for people to go there. So all of a sudden after that, I had a little time on my hands. It wasn't too much to work an 80 hour, hundred hour work week to launch a company. And I love to read. So I found the right books and found the right mentors. And, um, you know, but that pain point is what I solved for effectively. I set out to do it five years ago. And today we, we've helped hundreds of of you know, restaurant concepts and thousands of employees kind of at least have a better insight into when they would work and things like that make it a little bit more predictable. You know, when, when I was, and I've been out of the restaurant business now since for about 12 years, but I was in the, the distribution and brokerage side of it for almost 15. And people would say, what, what is the one thing that you learned about the restaurant business? And I would say this, I would say, the one thing that I learned was how hard it was to make profit because we always talked about the magic nickel. We always said, if you made a dollar and after everything got paid, if you were able to make a nickel, you were doing well. So we were constantly trying to, to help our customers figure out more ways to make money, more ways to bring money in the door. And it wasn't that 
the restaurants and I call it an independent restaurants, Corey. So it wasn't that those people weren't willing to work or, or, you know, things like that. It was the opposite. It was, they were trying to work to see what, if they could take a nickel and make it six cents or take six cents and make it six and a half or seven because of all the variables that you mentioned. I don't know who's not going to show up today. I don't know if my food truck's going to be late and I ordered six cases of French fries that I really need to start the lunch rush with. And I'm out, you know, because I ran out last night because we got hit hard. And, and, and so all these things in your mind before you even open the door. And I had people that told me, they were like, you ever going to open a restaurant? Like, nope, not on your life because I've seen too much. That wouldn't work for me. That just, just wouldn't work for me. What's the one thing that besides the long hours and things like that? Things like that. What was the one thing you took out of your time from the restaurant business that's helped you now in running your own company? Well, I put I put something on LinkedIn the other day that's really resonated. It's got about a half million views, about 17,000 likes, and has been shared almost a thousand times. And it was a pie chart that was named reasons why I'm nice to the waiter, right? And it was 100% of the pie chart was filled in the same color. And then it said that color meant because they're just people like me trying to do a job. And I think what I learned, and this might sound a little bit harsh, but I learned that most people don't view the help as an equal, right? It didn't matter if I was waiting on former presidents or, you know, tier tier one athletes and, and A-list movie stars, if, or if I was waiting on somebody that, you know, frankly was there for a, a Groupon or a restaurant week and, you know, wouldn't have been able to be there otherwise, nine out of 10 tables, right? And, and I don't say this for, for any anything other than a, a perspective for the audience, are really condescending and rude to the waiter, right? Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a mindset of this person's here to serve me, they're my servant, and they're not on my level. And I think understanding that a majority of society feels that way and acts that way really did help me to have some just open, honest conversations. And I think, you know, coming from that perspective of you still have to serve those people. You still have to love them, right? What would Jesus do, right? He, yeah. he said, I came not to call the righteous, but the sinner to repentance, right? And a, a saying that I love is don't hate anyone, just love the hell out of them, right? So being nice to these tables when they treat you like a piece of crap, right? Literally, you know, having to not only smile, but really care about their experience, I think was something that really just helped me have, you know, both thick skin and, and a soft heart. I love that caring about the experience because again, we're, we're so, I think a lot of times, Corey, we're so cognizant of getting the person to the table, especially in sales, getting that person to the table, getting them to the buying process. And we care more about the product than the experience. Like, well, I'm giving them a great product. Yeah. But if their experience sucked it, the whole way through, it doesn't really matter. Right. And so, and I love what you said. My wife and I went out uh, to, to a restaurant here locally a couple of weeks ago and we waited probably an hour or so to get in. And they were like, Hey, we're sorry. You know, we're supposed to be at a hundred percent, but the health department is, you know, they told us we had to do this, this, and this. And I'm like, man, that's so unfair. If you're going to be at a hundred percent, you should be at a hundred percent capacity. Like you should be able to do that. But our experience from the time we walked in the door was top notch. Our waitress was on point. The, 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 ex, the food expediter, and that's the person that brings the food out of the kitchen. A lot of times it's not the wait staff that brings the food out of the kitchen. There's someone called an expediter. They expedite the meals and get them out quickly. They were great. And we pulled the manager aside and, and I've been in those situations and it's like, I know that that manager's bracing for impact. And I just said, you know what? We just wanted to tell you your staff's on point tonight. Thank you guys for giving us a great experience. You know, we know you guys are running against some challenges, but you know what? We haven't seen any of that. We've seen a toplet. And you just, Corey, I, I saw that manager just kind of rock back. Like, what am I just hearing? And I posted that same thing on LinkedIn myself. And I was like, you know, we're so quick to complain when things are not good. But we're really reticent to say, you know what, man, your staff was on point tonight. Thank you for an incredible experience. Man, your, your kitchen was so on point. My steak was so deliciously cooked. 
And, and, and I love what you said there about caring about the experience because I think too many times in business, we're so wrapped up in the product that we don't really take time to care about the experience. I got to ask you, you mentioned it, so I'm going to go here for just a minute before we take a break. When you're waiting on A-listers, you're waiting on former presidents, things like that, what was the one common denominator that was most important to those people that you saw? Without, without a doubt, it was privacy. Wow. I, I wish you would repeat that. That is so good. The one thing that most A-listers and presidents, what they care about most. Privacy. Man. Man, that is so good. And I'm writing this down, folks. And, and I took a kind of a pregnant pause. I didn't expect Corey to say that. And so I'm just, I'm kind of taking that in. So, so I got to follow up with this. How do you make sure that you can do your job? You can deliver a top flight experience while remaining, while giving them the thing that they desire most in that moment. Well, it's interesting, right? And, and to just put a couple names out, there are some people that I had to wait on hand and foot. Michael Jordan, right? I grew up loving that man. Vince Vaughn, he was one of my favorite actors. Uh, uh, Keith Richards from the Rolling Stones, right? Big time. Now, with all of them, it was the same thing. I went out of my way to not make eye contact, went out of my way not to acknowledge that they were anybody other than the person maybe in the next room. Uh, and without, without a doubt, and, and those three and many other exceptions, the people by the end of the night had asked me to tell them something or two about myself or making eye contact with me. I had Vince Vaughn. I'll never forget this one. He was in a private room I had at a steakhouse I opened for Chicago. Started off a little rocky. He didn't want to pay what we were charging for his favorite wine. And some of the people you know, felt like the room was a little bit small. And so I had to really diffuse the situation. But without without groveling, without getting weird. I made sure everything was right. And so then before uh, I brought out the appetizers, after I'd taken the order, this guy in mind, he was, he was the main character in some of my favorite movies growing up. He had the room silenced. He stood up and, and did a toast for me. And he said, a round of applause for Corey the waiter, ladies and gentlemen, Corey the waiter. And that was you know probably 15 years into my career. I'd made six figures as a waiter. I'd been flown on private jets around this country by clients. I'd, I'd really thought I was at you know, kind of a pinnacle in that career, although I was starting to feel like a servant in the castle. But that one moment was so surreal for me. And I had, you know, a number of, of situations like that. But I think had I been anything other than quiet, uh, reluctant to, to, to make a noise, right, just anything other than attending to the experience to your point, I don't think I would have had that response. And so I think just learning how to give people their space, let people come to you, I'll tell a quick story before we go on break. I told people for the first four years of my startup career, I was terrible at sales. They said, well, what do you mean? You get on these big stages, you're closing these big deals, you've raised all this money. What do you mean you're bad at sales? They said, I'm terrible at sales because everybody I tried to sell to for the last 20 years was already hungry. They'd already decided that they wanted a steak or whatever kind of food I was serving at that establishment. And they'd been placed in my section. They didn't have any say, right? Uh, they were there because they were hungry and they wanted food. My job was to bring it to them. I didn't have to convince anyone that they wanted to eat or that they needed to eat or that they even wanted to be in that restaurant. So it's a very different sales cycle. Then I realized, however, being an advocate, right? Not, not talking about the $150 Kobe steak if they were wearing $30 sneakers, things like that coming into their world, not embarrassing people, being empathetic, again, prioritizing the experience above the product, People typically ended up tipping me, you know, 30%, 50%. And so I, I might have had a lower check average where I was making more money, right? And I think that kind of, once I realized, oh, you can do that in business as well, right? I can do that on social media. I can do that, you know, in other ventures that, that I've become part of. Um, really just let people lean into me. And I think that that is a takeaway that even though I, I waited my last table five years ago, I'll never forget. Man, that is so good. Let's step aside and take a break. We come back, we'll talk about Corey's company, what he's doing now. And I want to park a little bit more on what he just said there. 
and talk about how that correlates in business as well. Cause there's a little more I want to pull out of there talking with Corey Warfield here on the intentional encourager podcast back in just a moment. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton here. I want to tell you about our sponsor, SEO National. SEO stands for Search Engine Optimization. Now, what's that, you might say? Well, Search Engine Optimization helps you show up higher on search engines in front of paying customers for words that you as a business owner can monetize. What a great concept. SEO National is owned by my good buddy, Damon Burton, who's been a guest here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Not only has Damon and his team worked with businesses of all sizes, from e-commerce startups to NBA teams and Shark Tank featured businesses, but more importantly, Damon and his team are about transparency, trust, and providing lifetime value. So much so that he still has his first customers after opening SEO National 14 years ago. Let me give you some intentional encouragement and call Damon and his team today at 855-736-6285 or go to www.seonational.com and get a free quote. Corey, what you said before the break there, I love. And, and, and I wrote about this in People Buy From People. I wrote this, people buy connection before they ever make a transaction. When you are there in that moment, connecting with those people, you said something before the break that was great. You said they didn't have a choice of where they sat. They just knew they were hungry. They wanted to come for the experience. But from the minute, and I am putting myself in that moment, I can picture you going, okay, you're here in my section. I want to make sure that the experience that we share together for the next hour or two hours is one you're going to talk about next week. You know, because again, a great meal at a restaurant is something you talk about with a lot of different people. You know, hey, guess where we went last night? Or, hey, you know, if somebody asks you, hey, what'd you do this weekend? Oh, man, we had a great dinner at this restaurant and we we had unbelievable service and and people just took care of us and so again i can see where connection was important to you how long did it take you in your career as a waiter because you mentioned you got flown all over the country and and people requesting your services that doesn't happen unless you're top notch not only at, at the mechanics of the job, but the intangibles of the job. How quickly did it take you to figure out that connection was going to be key for you to get where you wanted to go and make the money you wanted to make? Also, I, I'm grateful that no one else will have to go through the journey that I went through. 22 years ago, I was living on the streets homeless for about a year and a half, right? Asking people for change and eating out of garbages. So for me, I got a new lease on life about 22 years ago, 20, 21 years ago. Uh, to get off the streets by washing dishes in a restaurant. And so guess what they had at that restaurant? They had hot water, they had heat, they had a roof, right? And they'd actually feed us a little bit of food and or there'd be some food sticking around so they couldn't get rid of me, right? I was the best employee they ever had. I showed up before the place opened every day, stayed late. You know, if anybody needed a shift covered, I was their guy. This is a little ski town in Colorado. And after my first six months, I did such a good job. But the second season, they started me as a busboy. And I did such a good job as a busboy. One of their regulars named Peter requested I started waiting on him. His, his name's Peter Yarrow. He was Peter from Peter, Paul, and Mary, right? He was kind of a local celebrity. So this guy wanted me to be his waiter. And so they trained me real quick. They let me wait on him when he was in the building and other than that, I was a, a busboy. But so as you can see, I was already starting to leverage my connection, working my way from the back of the house to the front of the house, from a busboy to a waiter. Uh, started being really friendly with and helping the bartenders so much that they would start to lean on me to start to make some drinks, stock the bar, things of that nature. So it was really a natural progression. Within two years, I was studying wine, got certified as a sommelier. I, I went to the nicest restaurant in town, told them I'd be the best busboy that they ever had. They said they didn't need one. I said, then I'd work for free, right? Six months later, I was their head waiter. I was making six figures. Mind you, they had two off seasons a year, right? So, so I was working about seven, seven to uh, eight months tops out of the year, making about $120,000 a year. This is a long time ago. And for someone like me, I was able to, you know, suddenly help my family back home, help people in my circle and, 
know, now I had a place to live and I had a bed to sleep on and it was just fantastic. So it was really almost out of necessity that long time ago and being able to make that much money kind of from, from the rock bottom to the, to the very top in that short time frame was easy to keep that for, you know, probably the better part of 20 years until I finally said no more. I can't, I can't keep doing this. Corey, here's the thing that I, that I, I take from what you just shared. A lot of times necessity drives us to do the things we don't want to do, but here's what, what, what I took from that. You figured out pretty quick that from let's say 11 in the morning to 10 at night, you had a roof over your head. You had food to eat. They had hot water. So on your break, you could go freshen up. You could, you know, if you had a 30 minute break or whatever, Hey, you know what, what I can do is I can go clean up a little bit. I can go do, you know, just kind of relax and things like that. And for those 10, 11 hours, you know, the pressure was off. You weren't homeless at that point. You had a job and you were, and, and, and here's the thing that I'll say too. The one thing that restaurant owners value is somebody that's always there. They can count on them. They, 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 they value the people that are always there. If you're willing to work in the restaurant business, they'll work you as much as you want to work. Because that means the manager doesn't have to work as hard. That means the owner doesn't have to cover a shift. That means that everybody else, the pressure is off everybody else. They're indispensable. They're irreplaceable. When you think about that time in your life, and let's go here for just a minute. When you think about, you said, I didn't want to to work that hard anymore and do, do, and and I, I totally respect that and get that. You mentioned the off season, because again, people go through slumps in business where sales are not, where they're, 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 the sales might be off a little bit. What did you do in those three or four months of off-season time? How were you preparing your mind and how were you, you, you taking that time to kind of rebuild yourself and reload for when the season started? So really, and I was young at the time, it was so long ago, but really I didn't do much. I took that, that time since I was finally making money to go on little vacations, um, right? go climb the top of some mountains, go, you know, go see some parts of the country I hadn't seen before. And this is, you know, right at the beginning of the internet kind of a thing. And so, yeah, I didn't have a smartphone. Those didn't exist. I didn't have a computer. Um, so I didn't, I, if I'd go, gone back and had those resources now, I'd probably been on YouTube learning how to start companies back then, but I was just enjoying the, the dollars I'd made during those seasons and really just recharging my battery. What are you hearing from a lot of, and, and, and I don't want you to share specific conversations. Well, let's go here. You're talking about, you talked about creating the content that you've created out there on LinkedIn, your other platforms. What do people talk to you about creating content and, and really taking that and using it to leverage their, cause you let, you said something about leveraging connections. And, and I love that because again, I think some people are going to be confused and say, oh, leveraging connections means you do business with people. No, that's not what you're doing. You're using way, you're using what you have to be able to help somebody else. What do you hear from people when 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 you talk about leveraging connections? What do you hear from clients or other people that that kind of push back a little bit and don't quite understand the concept of leveraging connections? So frank, frankly, I don't have very many conversations with those people because most everything I do these days is inbound and people are reaching out to me because they want to know how I've grown to hundreds of thousands of followers, getting tens of millions of views, and they see the money that that translates into. So a lot of people are coming to me either wanting to work with me one-on-one, you know, wanting maybe a little couple of tips that I can share freely or anything like that. So um, I see the people that are apprehensive, but I don't really have time for them, right? Most of what I'm doing right now either lends towards my philanthropic work or is revenue generating uh, for myself personally. And so I'm having so much fun helping people grow. And I'd say to answer your, your question in a roundabout way, what I see people doing wrong that I always work with with people on, whether they're clients or whether I just put this out for the world, is people show up on social media and so uh, show up professionally trying to help people, right, and trying to talk at them. And I, 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 I would push back and say, 
everyone professionally on a platform like LinkedIn is there to make money. They're there to sell something, get a job or hire somebody to make them money. They don't want to learn, right? There's the, the best leaders and, and even not, not the best leaders, right? Leaders that are effective. When we need to learn something, we go out and we find that thing. We're not looking for someone to show up and go, hey, do you want to know this one thing you're doing wrong in sales from, you know, not to sound condescending, it's like from you, I don't even know who you are, right? Like it's, if, if I needed that help, right? And so people people that I work with and what works with me is talking at your, talking with your audience, not at them, right? Asking them questions, letting them talk, ask them what kind of jobs they're looking for, ask who you can connect them to. And so that type of connecting with people is not trying to teach them anything, not trying to sell them anything, not trying to talk at people. A lot of people miss the videos I used to do on LinkedIn all the time, but I got sick of having the, it be the Corey show, right? Let me rather than do the Corey show, let me just show up with something telling you to be nice to the waiter and telling, right, this kind of thing. And then we can have conversation and dialogue around that. And people can say, wow, how did you get 800,000 views on that post? I can say, well, you know, here are three things that, that, that I focus on. If you, if you want to get those kind of views for yourself, I, I work with clients, right? And it's, it's not even a sales cycle anymore. It just happens to be one, one of the primary things that I do. Um, but I think just when you talk about leveraging connections, how can you have the reputation in, in larger and larger circles where people are talking about you positively, where people are seeing what you're doing and wanting to get in on that, right? Wanting to do business with you. And I think the easiest way for me to help people do that or, or to, to talk to people and have them figure out on their own is the headline on social media, right under your name. That's where you're telling the world who you are and what you do. If that can be compelling and if that can reach to the right people and say, well, there he is, there she is. I've been looking for this person right, then you've done a lot of the legwork. So I think the, the distillate of what I've just gone on my little diatribe and said is that when people talk with, not at their audience, I see a lot of magic happening. Well, and again, it's, it's encouraging your audience. It's encouraging them because, um, and Corey, I, I'll be transparent with you in the audience. That's why I started the Intentional Encourager podcast. I wanted to, I wanted to tell, and I still want to tell, I want to tell as many powerful stories of the people you know and follow on LinkedIn as I can. And I've been blessed that that people have just said, yeah, Brian, I want to come and tell my story on your podcast. I'm grateful for that because, again, if, if we're not spreading intentional encouragement to each other, then what are we doing? You know, what are we doing? Because... I don't know anybody, Corey, that doesn't need encouragement. Like even like you were talking about celebrities, you know, I, I I'm a, I'm a Michael Jordan fan. I, in fact, we're going to have a, a podcast here um, in just a few weeks with a, a former college teammate of Michael Jordan's named Matt Doherty he was the head coach of the North Carolina Tar Heels and Notre Dame. And, and, and we talk about, Michael Jordan is a teammate, you know, he, he shares and I won't give it away completely, but he shares a moment from the national championship game. When Jordan was a freshman, he talked about an encouragement moment that he had with his teammates in that moment in a national championship game. And so, man, I don't know anybody that doesn't need encouragement and doesn't need to know, Hey, there's a, a tribe of people that are just coming together and, and doing big things. Let's step aside, take another break. I want to hear more about your story. You teased it a minute ago about being homeless and being out in Colorado and waiting on Peter from Peter Paul Mary, which is very cool. We're going to hear more of Corey's dynamic story. You're going to want to stick around. Come back with Corey Warfield here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Hey, everybody, Brian Sexton. want to tell you about my new book, People Buy From People, 10 Powerful People Lessons from the Ultimate People Person, my dad. My dad was one of the greatest connectors that I ever knew, and he shared with me 10 connecting principles that I have used throughout my 25-year sales and sales management, customer engagement, and leadership career that I'm passing along to you. If you want to be a stronger deeper and more powerful connector. You've got to pick up a copy of People Buy From People. There are concepts in there that you may not realize help make you a power connector. You can go to Amazon and pick it up. 
Kindle if you're an e-reader and you like to do it that way, or now available on Audible. And there's one other way you can get a copy of People Back from People. You can get one from me, and I'll sign it for you. You go to intentionalmediaandpublishing at gmail.com and send me an email, and I'll share with you the link on how you can get a signed copy. You can buy a signed copy directly from me. Again, people buy from people. If you want to connect like never before, pick up your copy today of People Buy From People. And now let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Corey, let's dive into your story, man. This is this is why I wanted to have you on. You teased it a moment ago. Take me as far back as you want to take me from point A to where you are today. Some of the low, the high points, the low points of your I'd story. Ask- I've been on about 250 podcasts so far. And so sometimes I struggle with things I haven't talked about often. I think I've got one that I haven't uh, t- talked about on another podcast that I think will tie, tie into your at, at least uh, zip code here in a moment. Um, but I can take you all the way back. I grew up in Edmonston in a nice family. My, my father's got his master's degree. He was a teacher. My mom was, was in administration at a, at a top university there called Northwestern University. And so I, I was a straight A student, honors kid, right? And how did I end up on the streets? Well, I just kind of went crazy. I had some things happen in my life. I, I was suicidal. I, I stopped caring about things. Uh, and I wanted, frankly, to be both a, a gangster and a rapper, right? So I was out doing the whole thing. I had a bunch of money. I was performing on stages, getting paid to rap, and I got robbed for everything I owned. And that just, that, that you know, they cut my, the guy I was with was one of my best friends, cut his throat in front of me. And, um, right, I just, I, I didn't want to keep going. So it took me many months of just really kind of, you know, being defeated, being on the street, getting in circles of people that all wanted to help, you know, each other, frankly, eat and not die, right? And once I finally realized that that didn't have to be a death sentence for myself, and, you know, I was probably in my late teens, early 20s at that time, um, you know, I was able to turn things around pretty quickly. But um, so growing up- How do you get into that world? I had to, I had to jump in there. Forgive me for interrupting. You grow up in a very upper middle class- in Evanston, Evanston's not, and forgive me for saying it, it's not the hood. How do you transition to that world where you're seeing things you've never seen before? You just mentioned it, man, that would be traumatic to see what you saw. How does one transition from where you grew up and how you grew up to get into the world that you were in and see some of the things that you saw? Well, so my, my parents chose to raise me in, in South Evanston, and at the time, it was just a few blocks from one of the worst parts in the city, called, you know, it was Howard Street, and so we were seeing a lot of gangs, a lot of violence, a lot of robbery, and, and I kind of actually glorified that, right? It was different than, um, you know, my, my even more immediate surroundings, and it seemed kind of dangerous and sexy, and that's where all the, the girls that were cute were hanging out on those corners I wasn't allowed on, and so I think it really, you know, even from the music and the movies that I was watching and listening to, I think I somewhat glorified that. So when I dropped out of college and kind of lost my my mind because of some things that were going on in, in my, you know, family life and, and in my, my personal life, that was kind of a natural uh, place for me to turn. And uh, I was really well rece- received there as well. And again, I was trying to be a rapper and, and I was really good at it. I, I still in my 40s have fun making rap songs. I did the first ever uh, global rap song for LinkedIn with three guys and Forbes magazine picked it up. We got millions of views. Um, but so back then that was the circle that, that would accept me, right? They all wanted to hear me rap and, and, and all of that. So, um, but the story I want to get into that was before that was really the first time I learned how to love myself and, and, and kind of, um, you know, was just a few years earlier than that. I was in West Virginia and I, I can go into more details, but the, the true reality is, and, and there's not much spin on this, I got hit by my own family's new car in West Virginia with nobody in it, right? So nobody's in this new car. In West Virginia, I, I got hit by the car as a Toyota Corolla, and it broke my femur bone in my right leg in two, in two places. And so a sweet lady there in West Virginia ran and tried to help me, but she made things worse, and the bone popped out of the leg, and I was still growing at that time. So I got I got... Uh, ambulatory service to a, a West Virginia hospital, but from there they stabilized me and they they took me back to Chicago in a helicopter to a to a now defunct airstrip called Meg's Meg's uh, Meg's Field, 
that was on Lakeshore Drive. And on behalf thinking, of West Virginia, we apologize for your negative oh, experience. Oh, it was my fault. <laughs> it was my fault and it changed my life. So no, no need to apologize. I loved it. We were there visiting my, my uncle who would build his own house there with his hands and, and all this, right? But um, I, I disengaged the parking brake. It was a stick shift car. I disengaged the parking brake on the hill and tried to stop the car at like 13 or 14. But so anyhow, now I'm back in Chicago. In, in a hospital bed for six weeks with a pin through my leg attached to weights to make sure that my femur could be reset. And then I was in a body cast for six months. So talk about having some time to think and get to know yourself. And that was all the result of, of my, my one and only trip to West Virginia so far. Um, so I think that gave me time to really get to know myself and like the time together. College wasn't for me. It wasn't a good experience. And then when I had some things happen and you know, just turning to that life where I can go try to be a rapper and try to make all the, you know, the, the big fast money back then. And, um, you know, it, it was all part of my story. So at this point, you know, would, would, I, would I ever go back and do any of that again? Nope. If my kids say they wanted to, to you know, walk in my footsteps and say, absolutely not. Uh, but if I could go back and change it all, I wouldn't change a thing. If if your kids say we want to go to West Virginia, I would I would nip that in the bud too. I would just nix that and just go, you know, listen, man. Uh, I get bad stories from from West Virginia. So again, our apologies to you, Corey Warfield. You know, that's not the way we want you to to fondly remember our state, but uh, but no, I want to ask you here. Take me through the the homeless situation that you found yourself in because you you were talking about being in a body cast for six months kind of learning kind of figuring out okay college isn't for me how do you get to that point where you're you're now homeless and and away from home i i, I assume you were in colorado when this happened or, or were you back in chicago no, I was all over and we were, I was hitchhiking. I was with groups of people that have been on the streets for longer than myself. So it was just right. I, I was, I was out, out on one of the coasts and uh, performing pretty often. And I was actually doing pretty well. I had some money, uh, but that's when they, they took me and the guy I was with and they, they robbed us violently and literally left me with nothing. And, um, you know, it was just embarrassing. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to crawl home and, you know, people back home knew that I had left and, you know, I basically said I wasn't going to come back until I was famous. And right, nobody wants to admit, especially when you're trying to be a tough guy, that, that you got, you know, beat up and robbed and all these things. So I think it was just a matter of I didn't want to, I didn't want to go back to an old life. There's still, frankly, the things I've been dealing with were still issues here in Chicago. So I didn't want to come back to that anyhow. So it was just really easy to, you know, and especially at 18, 19 years old, right, 20, whatever I was, it's really easy to just not plan for your future right and just let things come as they would and i've always had this this weird um chemistry and I, I anywhere i go typically and it sounds silly but the ladies always love me so even back then i you know i had women that wanted to get me apartments or let me live with them and stuff like that you know so it wasn't it wasn't as awful every single day of the journey but there were there were plenty of days i'd sleep in the parks or under the bridges and things like that as well we've got fantastic hair I got to say that you've got <laughs> tremendous hair. And so, yeah, no wonder, man, that, that, that people wanted you to be around. I mean, you know, I, we've been recording for about 35, 40 minutes and I've just had hair envy ever, ever since, you know, it's, <laughs> it, it, that is a tremendous lid you've got rocking there. Corey, take me through and maybe the homelessness, maybe getting beat up and, and robbed was that take me through the biggest obstacle that you faced in your life and the lesson that you learned from it? Well, you know, I held my mom's hand when she took her last breath and that was right before I started my company. Um, and then just last year, the beginning of the year, I was told that I was dying from a liver disease. I was going jaundice, the liver functions were really bad. And so, you know, within that couple, couple of year time frame of losing my own mom and then faced with my own mortality and um, for the record, I'm fine. I was able to get medical treatment and, and now I'm as, as healthy as, as any 43 year old on the planet. Um, but I think just those experiences, you know, understanding that I hadn't done as much as, as I wanted to for my mom or spend as much time with her. I mean, I saw her all the time, but it's, it's not the same once, once, you know, once they're not there anymore. And I think just some of that mortality is what's got me, you know, studying things like blockchain and smart contracts and technology that, 
you know, could potentially help extend human lifespans and things like that. So, you know, it was really rough and it's still five, almost six years later, it's still rough, right? You, you think about, about the people that you lose all the time. And, you know, so that's a personal, I think, you know, other than that, just starting a company, I don't know for anyone listening to this that's ever started a company, you'll know nobody wants to support you, right? Everybody tells you you can't do it and that you're doing everything wrong. And so I think starting a company, you know, when frankly I was unqualified and then, you know, just all the, you know, this is the intentional encourager, but I'll tell you, there are a lot of intentional and unintentional discouragers out there as well. So I think, you know, just getting through the sea and the ocean of, of of haters and doubters and naysayers and, you know, discouragers when I started my first company as well was probably a, a pretty, a pretty contentious period to get through, but uh, it made me that much stronger of an entrepreneur. I, I got to ask you real quick, just, just to, to kind of think real quick in, in that moment. When, when you left home and you were able to reestablish yourself what was a reunion like with your folks when you had, you had come back and said, look, I've made something of myself. Cause you mentioned holding your mom's hand as she, as she passed away. And and again, having lost a parent, I know what that's like. I, I know that what, what that is like. Do you feel like that you got the kind of closure with your folks that you wanted and that, that they knew that you were going to be okay and that you were going to be fine that no matter, you know, what happened, what else happened in life? Yeah, absolutely. My mom got to see me make enough money to, to live a good life. And I was able to help her and, and my sister, you know, do some fun things and, and you know, that the, the cost money that we'd never really seen before. And so I think she, she knew that I was, that I was set for financial, you know, if, if not, if not freedom, at least security. Um, then my dad, I, I love him. We talk often, but he, you know, he gets to see every step of the way. I think he's one of the people where when he heard I was going to stop making money and, and start a company, I think he was a little bit nervous, but he's always told me he knew I could do it. He's been one of the few. And, you know, these days, and you know, he, he lets me know in more ways than one that he's very proud of me. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad that they did have that. Cause that would have been you know, somewhat torturous. But again, I did start my first company a few months after my mom passed away. So she never got to see that side of me either. Man, I love the fact that you've got your dad as an intentional encourager in your corner because people don't understand how important that is to have someone. And I've said this on LinkedIn, you know, even encouragers need encouragement. It, it's, it's, a, it's a circle. It's a cycle when, when because it's hard for you to give encouragement when you're not getting encouraged yourself. And so in that vein, Corey, and again, you've been so gracious with your time and I've loved every minute of hearing your story, share with this audience, your biggest piece of intentional encouragement. So I think I, I would, I would say this, there, there are a lot of different theories that, you know, I've been studying quantum mechanics, quantum computing, quantum physics. I've been studying you know, RNA is a building block of, of life and DNA. I've been studying simulation theories, right? There are all these crazy theories. And, you know, I'm a theologian. I, I love to stay in scripture and things like that. But I think the encouragement that I would give everybody that's listening right now is that, and it really ties in empathy. Every single human being is living, living a different experience and I think just not trying to fit everybody into that box, right? People get so caught up in how can they get people to act the way they want them to or think the way that they do. And once you can just embrace and accept that every single person is on a different journey and a different story and that your job is to simply bring more love to earth because that's what makes the world a better place, there's nothing that you can't do. And when I say that, there's a quote I say from Zig Ziglar. He says, if you help enough people get everything they want, you can have everything that you want. But it's the same thing. Stop worrying about pleasing or upsetting people. Stop worrying about getting people to read the same book or use the same name for, for a creator as you do. And literally just start loving, right? You can love your, your streets more. You can love the foundation your house is built on more. You can love your neighbor or your enemy more. You can love yourself more. You can love your companies. Or, you know, it says in First Timothy 6.10, don't love money, but you can sure as heck like it, right? I, I said something on Twitter recently. I said, unpopular opinion. Uh, money can buy you happiness, you know, um, yeah. but, but 
you know, I think just when people realize that we don't all need to think or, or act or, or talk the same and that we don't need everyone to quote unquote be on the same page as us. But, but with that said, we can still love more. And I think, you know, Jesus said it, but, uh, you know, judging should not be judged, condemning should not be condemned, right? That's where I'm at in life anymore is just love, 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 love more. And, and I've seen it in, in people much greater and much more successful even than myself. The more love that you share, especially when it's not for any reason other than to bring more love to this world, the more love you get back. Man, that is so true. And you mentioned Zig Ziglar. I had, I, I've had the opportunity to have Tom Ziglar, his son, on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Tom's a friend of mine. And his dad's quotes, people, people quote Zig Ziglar, but they don't understand Zig was a Christian. Zig was a man of faith. Zig had a walk with the Lord that powered the thoughts that he had and the encouragement that he gave to people. And so thank you for mentioning one of my personal heroes, Zig Ziglar. And, and uh, man, what a beautiful quote that you said. And I love that. And um, just thank you for, do, for, for sharing that. That is so good. Corey, tell people where they can connect with you, find your content, um, things like it. You mentioned, we've mentioned LinkedIn, Twitter, um, just let people know where they can connect with you. Yeah. So I've got a team that's pretty good about keeping, keeping me relevant on most of the platforms and on um, the platform where I'm most often, uh, posting as myself is on LinkedIn, although it can be hard to keep up there as well. But, um, so my name is Corey Warfield, anywhere I can be found that, um, you know, I try to be responsive and reciprocal of, of any engagement and attention, but, what I'm doing professionally and, and the way to find me on social media is to follow the same hashtag, which is Corey Connects, C-O-R-Y-C-O-N-N-E-C-T-S. We are launching a Corey Coin cryptocurrency. We are launching a true gamified experience to find a job and grow on social media. So we're gamifying recruiting. Um, I have my podcast where I've had some amazing people as well. You know, the co-founder of LinkedIn, Bob Berg of The Go-Giver, that type of you know, person that has inspired me in my journey and helped make me the person that I am today. Uh, so, you know, I do a lot of things, but most of them fall under that umbrella of Corey Connects. And that's a great place for people to go stay, stay relevant with me and where I try to find people that I can, you know, be supportive of as well. And also go to shedwool.com. That's Corey's company. And, and you'll be able to find uh, more resources there if that, that interests you shedwool.com s-h-e-d-w-o-o-l shedwool.com Corey warfield man this has been great again you mentioned another guest of the intentional encourager podcast bob berg and bob's a, a tremendous guy go check out Corey's podcast hashtag Corey c-o-r-y connects c-o-n-n-e-c-t-s Corey warfield man thank you so very much for joining me today on the intentional encourager podcast it was a pleasure to be with you. Thanks for having me. God bless all for listening. My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Means. And of course, the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. If you're not subscribed to the Intentional Encourager podcast, hit the subscribe button wherever you get podcasts so you don't miss an exciting episode where you can get encouraged and stay encouraged. And remember, anyone, anywhere, at any time, any place can be an intentional encourager.